It is good to see everybody here tonight. How are y'all doing? You know, this is just fun. I think a lot of times what happens as we get closer and closer and closer to the end of the semester, as you start to kind of see people like disappear, I don't know like if people have these holes they go in to prepare for finals or something, but it starts to look sparse as you get through the end of the semester. And I'm really, really proud of this group because I think we've continually grown and I've seen new faces and new people uh, coming every week just because y'all are on board with the idea that this is important to your life. And I just want to commend y'all for that. I think that's great. Uh, welcome to Aggies for Christ. My name is Craig and I've been speaking here for a while and doing some stuff here with the college group and we've been going through Galatians this semester. And so if you're new with us, uh, that's, we're at the end. So you came at the end, but the end is good. So it's okay if you missed one through five, but we're gonna be in six tonight. Now, one thing I do want to make sure you know is that next week is special in a really, really good way because holiday's coming up, right? Uh, my wife was playing Christmas music in the car. Don't be like that. It's Thanksgiving that's next, okay? So we're going to be focusing on Thanksgiving next week, next Wednesday. AFC is going to be like normal. We're going to show up here. I'm going to talk and all that stuff's going to happen. Matt's going to talk, actually. But we're going to do that like normal. And then when AFC is over, we're going to move all these chairs that direction a little bit. We're going to get some of those tables and set them up. And we are cooking Thanksgiving for you guys. And so we're going to fry some turkeys and have some mashed potatoes and stuffing and rolls and cranberry sauce. All that stuff that you would expect for a Thanksgiving, we're going to do it. So I don't mind if you each bring five of your roommates. Like we're going to have lots of food and so feel free to invite people and we're just going to do that together because that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, something I do want to ask of you guys, we got turkey and sides and drinks and all that taken care of, but if you would like dessert, we're asking people to bring their favorite Thanksgiving dessert so you can kind of show off what your best family tradition is or what you think is delicious. You should just bring pumpkin pie, like if I have any say in it. But we're asking you to bring a dessert if you'd like to share that with people, and that's how we're going to do that. So sound good? Do what? Which Jeff? My brother? My brother's in Artesia, so no. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll ask him. I'll call him. So that's next week, so that's going to be good. Now, one other thing, if you didn't make it to the sweet bonfire we had out in the parking lot, that's okay, because on December 4th, so that's coming up, we're doing what we're going to call Bigger Batter Bonfire, which means we're going to get more some more fixings and have more talented musicians, aka not this guy, and more pallets to burn, and we're going to have a really nice big fire now that it's really cold to kind of end the semester off. So that's coming up too, but next week, Thanksgiving, so be there. Sound good? All right, that's all the announcements I have for you, so that's easy. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Um, this is the last chapter in Paul's letter to the Galatian people. And he's been talking to them a lot and saying a lot of things. And tonight, we're really going to see a shift in the way Paul's talking. So while you're turning there, what I'd like you to do is think about a question. Have you ever looked at your hands? Kind of a weird question. But have you ever really looked at your hands? So everybody kind of take out your hands. Like, what do they look like? 
Not everybody's looking. Take a look at your hands. I mean, obviously, like, you have fingers. There's, like, fingernails and some different stuff. Um, I look at my hands, and I see that I have some freckles, and there's some wrinkles where the joints are. I have a lot of little scars and nicks from different dumb stuff I've done. Um, my pointing fingers are a little bit crooked. Probably got hit with a hammer, maybe. Um, there's a tan line under my wedding ring. There's some calluses on my palms. But hands, hands are really, really cool. And the reason I think hands are cool is because if you just sit and look at them, if you just kind of look at your hands, your hands tell a story, don't they? You look at your hands and the things that are there and the way that they've formed up to this point, they hold memories of things that we've done. They tell a story about places that we've been. And so I want you to be thinking about that. Um, a while back, Hannah and I were out driving around town and we were going to get something to eat. You know, we're getting hungry and thinking about, well, what should we do? And just in case you didn't know, if you're in a relationship, one of the single worst questions you can ever ask if you want it to go well is, where do you want to go eat, right? Like, it's a trap, no matter who's asking it or who's answering it. Terrible question. But anyway, the question came up, and so we're having this discussion of where we want to go eat. And we're over by Walmart on Loman, and we're like, what's close to Walmart on Loman? Any suggestions? See, y'all are smarter than we were. Furs. We're like, we should go to Furs. We haven't been there in like six years. That'd be awesome. You can just put some money down. It's all you can eat. They have dessert. It's everything we could want. And so we pull into the Furs parking lot, and what do you know? They've redone the outside. I'm like, these people are serious about good food. This is a good sign. We go in there, and we start to get some food on the plate. We go down to eat, and my gosh, it was terrible. Like, I'd been to Furs before and had fond memories. Maybe it was an off day, but like that stuff had been under a heat lamp for a week. It was just bad. And we're both kind of eating it. And I'm not even that picky about food usually. And we're just like, this is like not even just like old or dry or stale. It's just bad. And so we're like, that's that stinks. Like we just paid eight bucks or whatever, right? So like, well, we can salvage this. We'll eat a sandwich at home because that's cheap. We'll just go get some dessert. And so we go and we get like the pie and the jello and there's the whipped cream and stuff. They ruined dessert. Like I didn't think you could make jello bad, but even that, like the safe choices, it was just a bad experience. And what was kind of funny about that is that in life, I think we have situations where we see something that we like or we have an idea in our head of where we want to go and we run towards it and as we're running towards it, reality kind of backfires in our face. You know, um, a good example might be a puppy. How many of y'all have a dog, like in your apartment or whatever? Okay, a puppy is a trap because you see it on Facebook or you see your friend's dog or you like do a Google image search for cute puppies with cute sayings, you know? It looks adorable. It looks fun. You're like, oh, you could like snuggle and they're probably so nice and comforting. If you really get one, it's a different story, okay? It's not like the Google image search. There's hair on things. There's furniture that gets chewed up. There's yapping that happens in the middle of the night. Like reality kind of kicks in and you're like, gosh, there's more to this puppy thing than I kind of thought. And again, I think life has a way of doing that to us. So as we've gone through Galatians, 
I start to wonder, we read chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, I start to wonder if at this point, that's kind of how the Galatian people are feeling. That they found something that they were running to and that they were excited about, but at some point in that, reality kind of kicked in and they were kind of wondering, where am I? What am I, what am I doing right here? Because the gospel was preached to these people and it said you can have freedom and there is liberty and there is salvation and they say, yes, those are things I want and they run after that, but once they make that commitment, suddenly things are more complicated because now they can't just listen to what people say or go with the flow or do whatever. Like questions come up and they have to think deeply about them because their eyes have been opened to this truth that there's more out there and that the things they do have real consequences. They have to think deeply about things. The life that they're being called to is challenging. It's not easy. They have to consciously make decisions that aren't always natural. You know, the Christian life that they had jumped into wasn't always comfortable, believe it or not. And so they saw this thing that was good and they ran towards it, but I think there's a point where reality kicked in and some people are just going, what did I sign up for? Like, what is this Christian thing really about? Because Paul spent the first five chapters of this letter and he's reminding the people why they were running that direction, right? Chapters one through five, he's been talking about, hey, grace, you get to be saved by grace through Christ, and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and Paul keeps hammering on that and keeps hammering on that, and I feel like he's done that, and then he saved these words in chapter six to tell them, now, now that you have that, now that that's happened, what are you going to do with it? How does that operate in the new reality that you're living in? Because these people, he's kind of telling them, hey, like, you've been saved. That's huge, right? Like, the biggest threat that your life was facing has been completely and permanently erased. And that's good news. He's like, you're at that point, but now that you're a part of this, now that you're a part of this family and a part of this community, well, you're going to be called to get your hands a little bit dirty. And I think that's what Paul is talking about in chapter 6 because he's going to say, you know, your hands, your hands really tell the world a story by the places that they've been and the things that they've done. And Paul's going to say, you've been gifted a place in God's family. And because of that, your hands are going to be telling a story to the world. And that means you have some responsibility. He says, yeah, you're going to get scars and you're going to get injuries. You're going to have pains. But as you do that, your hands, the things that your life is doing, is going to be a screaming testimony to the transformative power of Jesus Christ in the life of his followers. And so I think that's where he's going with that because it is kind of weird for these people, right? Because the gospel is very... um, it's very strange in the way that it works. Because if you have a profession and you get a job somewhere, you have a lot of people that kind of look the same, right? Like most people all got the same kind of degrees. You're all kind of on the same pay scale. You have similar responsibilities at your work. Like other associations we have in life are kind of homogenous to a certain degree. But the church, 
that the gospel calls people into isn't like that at all. It is nowhere except in a church that you could see a prostitute and a lawyer under the same roof. It was nowhere except within a church that you could see a jailer and an ex-con that had been under his charge together under the same roof. It was nowhere but a church that you could have a beggar and a wealthy man, that you could have a tax collector and, you know, just all these people that are different from these different backgrounds come together and suddenly be told, hey, you're supposed to be family. That doesn't happen anywhere else. But this has happened to this people and they're all together and Paul's saying, it's okay, I have chapter six for you. I have some advice I want to give you on what you do in this situation. Because he says this grace that we've been talking about unites each and every one of you. If Jesus is in your life, you've been called to be a part of something, but now, now that you're in that, you're family. You're together. People that never would have crossed paths in their normal day-to-day lives are now called to be something for each other. And so chapter 6, I think he really finishes this letter off just trying to model how that community should work. And so he has um, six activities in verses 1 through 10 that I think really give good advice for that. And what's neat about tonight is there's not, there's not anything like really deep that we have to discuss. Um, there's not anything kind of theoretical or stuff you need a lot of background knowledge to understand. Tonight, Paul's going to talk about some things and just say, hey, here it is. It's pretty practical. It's pretty easy to grasp. It's stuff that you'll be able to look at and just go, okay, I can look at that in my life. I can know where I'm at with that in my life. So if you'll read with me, starting in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 of Galatians chapter 6. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are within the household of faith. So in this passage, I think there's six things that Paul brings up. And the way I want you to approach these is all of y'all, all of us, we are kind of similar. We kind of have NMSU and we're kind of in Las Cruces and we kind of have the same age range going on. But in some other ways, we're different too. And so as we look at this, think about how does this apply to the family that we have in here? Verse one, I think the first activity that Paul really brings up is this idea that we always pull each other up. I think that's what we get out of verse 1. He's saying, now that you're in this family, your mind has to change so that you are willing to care about others enough that we risk our own comfort to help them. 
Because what he's really talking about here is this idea of accountability. He's saying all of y'all have a standard to live up to now. Like you are wearing the name of Christ. And with that comes responsibility. And he's saying y'all need to work together to make sure everybody's doing that in a worthy manner. He says y'all need to work together to make sure that y'all are repping the name of Christ positively in the way God would be glorified through it. And it's not fun to go up to a friend and tell them they're doing something wrong, right? I mean, anybody enjoy doing that? No, like not really. It kind of sucks because you go up to somebody and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to hate me. What if I'm wrong? What if it's not really that bad? And you start to kind of justify, right? But what he's saying is in this community, people have to love one another enough and love Christ enough that they're going to call each other out on things. But not in a rude way, not in an abrasive way, but he says we do it gently. We call each other to live the life Jesus calls us to. In verses 2 through 3, I think he says, help each other lift. Now, this doesn't condone cheating on tests. I don't think that's what he's talking about in verses 2 and 3, okay? It doesn't mean that if you're at the gym, it's okay to spot people by like using your legs to pull everything up, okay? I don't think that's what he's talking about here, but what he is talking about is that as a community, not only are we looking at each other's lives and kind of watching each other's standards, but we also can't have a that's their problem mentality. Do you know what I mean? Because if you see stuff happening, if somebody's, you know, really stressed out over here or somebody's car won't start over here or so-and-so's having trouble paying rent this month, it's really, really easy to step back and say, that's their problem, I got my thing going on. Paul says, that's the way you used to live, but now, now that you're a family, your problems and their problems and my problems are everybody's problems. He says, you need to help each other lift. Everybody's going to share those loads. Things that come up for individuals are now things that come up for the group. In Acts chapter 2, it's talking about the church, and it just says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Which I think that verse is powerful in a culture that depends so much on material wealth, right? Like we're pretty comfortable having stuff. And we have this group in the early church who said, you know what? It's not just my stuff anymore. I want to help people because they're my brothers and sisters now and we're family in this weird way. And I think what's key about what the people did is this wasn't a legislative change. Nobody ever went up to people and said, you, you have lots of stuff. Because you do, I want to force you to sell it and give it to these other people. That's not what's happening in the first century church. What's happening is people's minds are changing and they're seeing people in a different light that makes them want to give to their neighbor. That makes them want to take care of other people. And the whole reason behind that is because they remember how low we were when Jesus came and gave up everything to help us. That's where that's coming from. Next thing I think he brings up, he says, test yourself. Test yourself against real goals in verses 4 and 5. You know, kind of a good question to ask tonight is like, do you have goals for yourself? Because he's kind of saying we need to set goals for ourselves and we need to find directions that we're going so that we can continue to improve and we can continue to better help other people. You know, every one of us in this room is 
in this body for a purpose. And I don't know if we always think about that. Each one of you sitting in a seat, the people here, the people that are up here, the people spread in the back, all of us have a unique role to play within the body of Christ. And he's saying, hey, you gotta, you gotta be making sure that you're improving yourself. Because as we all improve as individuals, together we improve as a body. I think something else he brings up here is he says in community, we're tempted to be envious a lot of the times. You know, there's the you know, person over here that has the things you wish you had or the person over here that has the talents that you just don't have. Paul's going, yeah, like I get that, but part of that's because God made you different. You are going to look different. He says, don't be envious of one another. You find where you can serve and you only measure your worth by how far you've come through the power of Jesus. It's not about looking at your neighbor and comparing yourselves to them. Verse six, he says something that I think is really cool. Um, He says, share with your teachers. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, I don't know if we think about that a lot. Like how many of you have sent an email to a professor this semester talking just about how great class was last week? (laughs) We got a hand back there, all right. That a boy, okay. Um, Not something we do a whole lot, right? Because I think we have this mentality that teachers teach and students learn and you kind of keep it at a distance a little bit. And what Paul is going to say is there are going to be people in your life that are going to invest in you. There are going to be people in your life who take time out of their day, who take energy out of themselves, who rearranges their schedules only so that they can meet with you and see how you're doing and invest in you. He says, share your life with those people because Teaching is a tiring, thankless job, but it's always worth it for those rare moments when you get to see something good happen in the person that's learning. I teach math at the community college, and there is nothing more fun within the whole thing of teaching right there than that moment when somebody comes up and goes, I get it. You know, like you've been talking about quadratics for weeks and they're like, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. And then there's that one moment where somebody comes up and just goes, it makes sense, finally. Like I've had 40 teachers and I've taken this class nine times and I've never gotten it, but now I do. Hearing that, man, sign me up for next semester, right? Like that's exciting to hear. And it's the same thing within the body. If you have people in your life who have written a blog or posted something on Facebook or just said something to you at one point, that built you up and encouraged you, man, let people know. Encourage one another to be encouragers. I think that's what he's talking about in verse six. Verses seven and eight, he just says, sow seeds in healthy places. Um, I think this is just really further encouragement for people to think long-term. You know, like in our relationships with each other, um, it's easy to have grudges and envy and to want to get back at people. And he's saying, you can sow those seeds if you want. But it's not fooling God. He's saying if you sow those seeds, you're going to eventually reap from them, and it's going to hurt. Fostering those things and focusing on those things, that brings corruption and pain. He's like, no, if you sow seeds for the Spirit, if you concentrate on loving your neighbor, of thinking as other people as better than you, if you concentrate on those things, really cool stuff is going to happen in your community. And the last thing, verses 9 through 10, I think he's really just saying do nice things, especially for each other. You know, as we serve, we're preparing ourselves for receiving God's praise at the end of time. You know, that's the whole reason we're doing Thanksgiving next week, really. 
We're doing it because it's a nice thing, right? Like, y'all like free food? Yeah. yeah, okay. We happen to know you like free food. So we're like, a holiday, what a great excuse to give free food to people. Like, that's a nice thing to do, right? And I think that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, don't get tired of doing good because God's watching and that's going to result in something good for you at the end of time. But he says, do good to everybody, especially to those that are in the church because y'all are all each other has. You are the new family. These are your brothers and sisters more so than anybody else that's outside of the faith. Like this is what we got in here. And that's what he's saying. There's a story that I want to conclude with here in a little bit. But really, if you look through those things, through those six things, there's a common thread within each of Paul's points. And I think it's just that everything we do is designed to build up the people around us. You know, as a family and as friends and as a community, I think it boils down to we just need to learn to think about each other. And maybe that's a challenge for you or maybe it comes natural, but I think that's what it is. He's saying, hey, you've been given grace and you've been given Jesus and that's good. How do you live that out? What does that community look like? It looks like just thinking about one another and looking out for one another. There's a painting that I want to share with you up here on the back of the next slide. It's a very famous piece by a man named Albrecht Dürer and it's called um, Praying Hands. He was a German artist and there's a legend about how this painting came to be. So you see it's just a, a sketch, a sketch of these two hands that are folded and the story that people tell is that back in the 15th century um, in a tiny village near Nuremberg there was a family and they had 18 kids. I mean, ton of kids, okay? So 18 kids, and the father was a goldsmith, but he had to work a ton to feed his family. I mean, that's 20 people in a family. That's, that's like more than a frat house, okay? Like, that's a lot of people in one place. And so you got this one guy trying to support the family, worked 18-hour days, worked hard, was a good father, and he had two sons named Albrecht and Albert who both wanted to pursue art. But they knew just because of their family situation and money was tight and how all that worked, they knew there was no way their father would ever be able to finance both of them to go to art school. So there was an academy in the nearby city, Nuremberg, um, that did things like this. And they said, you know what? Let's make a plan. They said, we'll do a coin toss. And whoever wins the coin toss will go off and go to art school in Nuremberg. And the other one will go and work in the mines for four years while his brother schools. And from the money he gets from the mines, he can support the education of the other brother. And then once that time period is up, we'll swap. And whoever was working can go to school. And the other one will, either by selling paintings or by working in the mines, whatever they have to do, will make sure the other brother gets to go there as well. And they're like, this is a great plan. We're going to do it. And so on a Sunday, they toss this coin and Albrecht, wins the toss and Albert says all right let's do this and he starts work in the mines and so Albrecht goes on to school and people are amazed he just has this natural ability he makes beautiful artwork wood carvings and paintings and watercolors and he gets to this point where he's surpassing her surpassing his professors and he's starting to make money off of works he's commissioned to do and things are going great and all the while, Albert, his brother, is back in the mines just sending money saying, keep going, 
okay, here's some more money, keep going. And he was able to finish his studies. And Albrecht became an extremely famous artist. You know, here's one of his works right here. But he was considered one of the most talented um, artists of the Northern Renaissance that happened. And so the story goes that when he finished his schooling, he came back home and his family threw this dinner, celebrating his return. And so they have dinner and everything's going good. And it gets to the very, very end. And he stands up and says, okay, I'd like to make a toast. And he's thanking his brother. And he says, and now, Albert, blessed brother of mine, now it's your turn. Now you can go to Nuremberg to pursue your dream, and I will take care of you. And so everybody looks down to see Albert, and they just notice that he's crying. And everybody's kind of looking, and he's crying. His shoulders are shaking, and his head's lowered. And finally, he stands up, and he wipes the tears away. And he glances down at the table, and he looks at his brother and his family. And he says, no, brother, I can't go to Nuremberg. It's too late for me. Look, look what four years in the mines have done to my hands. The bones in my fingers have been smashed. The joints work so badly in my right hand that I will never make delicate lines on parchment or canvas with a pen or a brush. No, brother, for me, it is too late. And so Albrecht decided, well, if he couldn't go to school, there was one thing he could do for him. And so to pay homage to Albert for all that he had sacrificed, Albrecht drew a portrait of his brother's hands. Hands that were gnarled and broken and painful, but hands that were a symbol of the sacrifice of someone who loved his brother. Those hands tell a story. Our hands tell a story. And so what I'd like to challenge us to do is as a group as brothers and sisters, I challenge you, get your hands dirty. Make your hands tired and sore working for one another. I think that's what Paul's getting at in chapter 6. I think that's what Christ is getting at when he tells us to do this for one another and do that for one another. He's saying, hey, your hands are going to tell a story. And so what I'd like to do is everybody could kind of Get your hands back out. I'm going to pray here in a little bit. And what I'd like you to do, maybe a little weird, but just grab the hand of the person next to you. And I'd just like us to pray together before Tyler comes up and we sing some more. God, I thank you so much for this evening. And I thank you for your word and that we can learn from it and that you can teach us things from it. And Lord, tonight... I pray that you would work on our hearts and our minds and that you would show us what it means to be family and you would show us what it means to be community. I pray that tonight you will just bring thoughts into people's minds of ways that they can serve one another and ways they can look out for one another and defend one another. I pray that this group continues to grow stronger and that the relationships found in this room go far beyond a classmate, far beyond a roommate, far beyond an acquaintance, but that we can look at each other as brothers and sisters that we are willing to get our hands dirty for. So Lord, I just thank you for Christ. 
and for the grace that saves us being the beginning to that. And so I just pray that our community and the way that we treat one another and the way that we bring people in, that that is a testament to the power of Jesus Christ and that we would just continue to follow that the rest of the semester and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.